Welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about living your best life, unless you're fat, so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. Joining us to discuss this Christian Mingle-approved self-help <laughs> book is Margaret H. Willison, librarian slash social media bon vivant, one of Pop Culture Happy Hour's fourth chairs, one-third of appointment television, and one-half of Two Bossy Dames. Hello, Margaret. Hi, guys. Welcome back. I'm so glad to be here and so mad I read this book. <laughs> <laughs> um, Margaret is, of course, a returning um, Worst Bestsellers All-Star who's read uh, Model Land and mm, Chris Harrison's romance novel, whatever that was called. Yep. The, the Perfect, Perfect Letter? Letter? Yes. Yeah. Just two real classics. Um, I feel really blessed, honestly, to be here with both of you on the day that the um, clip of Tyra Banks interviewing Beyonce on her talk show is going at least viral on gay Twitter, Mm -hmm. where uh, every question that she asked um, either rhymed with Beyonce's name or with one of Beyonce's alter egos, or she got down the line to um, Beyonce's song titles. Mm -hmm. So it was like... Joshua Fierce, which of these two actors named Josh do you think is more attractive? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for Beyonce. if I were my favorite one, if I was a boy, she did. If I was Tolstoy, I know. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just more evidence of what I asserted in my very first episode with you two of Model Land that Model Land was so inept that it couldn't possibly have been ghostwritten. <laughs> it had to come from Tyra's specific diseased brain and i just think this did too and i'm just glad she's still out there um accruing cultural significance still out there and being tyra happy to have another book where arguably one of the most informative portions of the book was the acknowledgments which is the <laughs> first and only place this memoir slash advice book full of lots of quote-unquote real talk about how to be a good mom, mentions that this good working mom has a nanny, which (laughs) I I don't have any problem. I, in fact, wish every mother could have a nanny. But I do think it is shockingly disingenuous to not include any of that in your chapters about parenting. Yeah. Okay, so obviously... But shocking disingenuity is kind of... Rachel Hollis's whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So obviously much to discuss. Um, so much. First of all, so this book, I mean, it's been a legit bestseller for a long time. Very popular. I mean, since it came out in 2018, it's been like on the list for a long time. The sequel, Girl, Stop Apologizing, also a bestseller. Um, and I, I was familiar with the book for sure because I work at a library and like I just said, it's been very popular, but I didn't really know who Rachel Hollis was. And so I thought... Maybe, like, just the book itself was what made her famous. I don't know. And so I'm starting to read this, and she's talking about herself, and she's like, I know you all, like, must think that my life is so glamorous and so perfect, but I'm here to tell you, and, like, you must be envious of all the success I've had, but I'm here to tell you. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. Like, I don't... (laughs) And, of course, I am not her target audience in any way. And so some of this, as I was reading, I was just like, I'm... This is so far away from being at all relevant to me, but some of this sounds like maybe it would be helpful to somebody. A lot of it sounds like garbage, 
But there were things in here where I was like, I don't know, maybe that seems helpful if you were, like, living this life. Um, But so who she is, she runs... And but throughout the book, like, if you didn't know who she was, I don't think you would ever figure it out. Because she just sort of, like, tosses out these pieces, like, well, I run my own business and I have a staff of 11, but when I started, I was this. And she just makes the vaguest references to what she does. And she had a party planning company, business, event planning, party planning. Um, but now I think she just does this media lifestyle blog her blog is thechicksite.com, or chic site. Yeah. Um, don't make me speak French on my podcast. I I've already made Kate speak French. Well, that, it yeah. only seems fair. This is equality, right? <laughs> um, and, and then the Hollis Company, I like supports these like videos and stuff that she like. She's a lifestyle blogger. She has you know millions of Instagram followers, and so throughout this book, she's like. Oh, and you'll see all these, like, perfect Pinterest moms. And I'm like, you literally, like, go on your blog and it's just pictures of your cute kids and, you know, whatever you made for Sunday dinner. And, like, you are this. Right. I think this is one of the reasons why she is so incredibly vague about what her life actually entails. Because if you unpack what her life actually entails, just... The idea that she would be in a position to give realistic advice on how to live life to anyone who isn't incredibly wealthy is bonkers. She has this chapter that's about her um, her special relationship with the word no. And it like opens out and it's like, how did I get to be so big? And she like jokingly does this thing where she, you know, recites biographical details of people who've had really privileged and entitled lives. Yeah, like, my father was a wealthy lawyer, and then, like, my sisters and I got a reality show, and then I married Kanye West. Oh, haha, that's not me. That's Kim Kardashian. Right. And then she's like, I didn't have any of these advantages. I was just like a, like a country girl from the sticks, making good. And it's like, well, the advantage that you had is a husband eight years older than you, who was a Disney executive, who sounds low-key, like, kind of a piece of trash, but, like, Mm -hmm. You two had enormous personal wealth, and the income in your household and the well-being of your children wasn't dependent on your salary. It was chiefly dependent on your husband's salary. So you two could take a hit for a while while you built this whole new business. Also, the advantages you have is, like, you're, like, low-key, approachable Christian mom hot. Mm-hmm. You know exactly how to maximize your Christian mom hotness. And, like, you know... You know how to be mostly of the people you want to speak to, but just 15% hotter, smarter, more successful, and more confident than them. Yeah, Margaret kind of touched on this, but her career trajectory is basically, you know, she did genuinely, like, come from the middle of nowhere, brought herself to L.A. on her own dime. Yeah, like, at age of 18, I don't think she... Went or has been to college. No, she dropped out of college. She was in college and got an internship at Miramax. And when they offered her a full-time job for, like, no money, uh, she was, like, 18. So she dropped out of college to do that full-time. While she was there, she met her husband, the Disney executive, 
uh, started her party planning business and then uh, started the lifestyle blog on the side. And when that got very popular, switched to doing that full time. The Disney executive is what changed in that equation. It was not necessarily her, you know, party planning skills. She even has a chapter where she talks about how, like, the party planning business was never as successful as she wanted it to be. Like, it is yeah. not. She she did pull herself up to a certain point on her own, and that is commendable. But she did not pull herself all the way up. I think part of the issue, too, is that, like, I I think it falls into that thing where people who are, like, moderately wealthy seem to not recognize that people who are not wealthy don't see a difference between moderately wealthy and obscenely wealthy. Like, so she keeps saying, like, oh, like, I'm not Kim Kardashian. And, you know, she's not probably. But to you know, someone, some lower middle class or working class person in the middle of nowhere, like, there's not that much of a discernible difference between the life that she's living and the life that wealthier people than her are living. Like, you are already making more money than you could use. A hundred percent. Like, I do want to stress that, like, I think Kim Kardashian is an incredible businesswoman. I think Rachel Hollis probably is, too. Like, there are lots of rich wives in the world who don't build massively successful lifestyle blogs. You know, there are lots of people trying to build massively successful lifestyle blogs who don't succeed at it. Like, she obviously is good at what she is trying to do, which is not easy. But I I don't think that is erased by saying, and it wouldn't have been possible, you know, if like my husband Dave hadn't been earning enough at this particular point in time for me to step back and take an earnings hit so that I could be entrepreneurial. And all that would be lost is this fucking exhausting, unearned sense of self-righteousness. And that's like my biggest beef with Rachel Hollis. <laughs> Girl, shut the fuck up and own like an iota of your privilege. Yeah, yeah. she also, talks a lot. There's mama. a there's a lot of backpatting about her work ethic, and like I'm sure she, you know, she has four kids. Like that does that alone. That's a lot to do. Like I'm sure that she is busy and has worked hard, but that doesn't negate everything that Kate and Margaret just said. Right. Yeah, even even in the structure of the book itself, there are points where she'll be like, you know, oh, like sometimes. Being, being successful means you can't be there for every baseball game or you can't be there for, like, every school field trip. And that's okay. Like, you have to do you and you have to be the mom that you can be. But then at the same time, like, she'll turn around and act like and not acknowledge that there are other people doing these things for her kids. Like, there's one throwaway point where she's like, Sometimes the babysitter picks my kids up from school and like, that's it. You know, it's it's one thing to say, like, yeah, like I can't be there for everything for all of my kids because I run this business. So I have help and I could not do it without that help. But instead, she does not seem to acknowledge the help and seems to say, like, yeah, like sometimes I have to prioritize my business over doing stuff with my kids but that stuff still gets done because I can afford to have someone who does those things with my kids. Mm -hmm. 
at what point are we going to just jump in to this wholeheartedly? Because I, I feel like we're pretty much just going for it. And yeah. I don't want to disrupt the structure, but I have so many thoughts. Yeah, I mean, okay, so that's who Rachel Hollis is. That's kind of her deal. Um, the book is structured with a truly bananas introduction, and then every chapter is a lie, a lie that, like, she has believed or that society has fed to her, and then it... Um, so the first chapter, the lie, something else will make me happy. And then she goes through and kind of breaks down, like, well, why that's not true, or, like, what she's done to overcome that. Um, so, you know, the lie, I'm not a good mom. The lie, I should be further along by now. And then kind of accepting that. Um, so I think we... In lieu of, we will usually do a plot summary when we read books that have plots, but this is not structured in that fashion. So um, I thought we might just go around and, and lightly borrow the format of the podcast, I Don't Even Own a Television. Uh, I'm sure they will not mind. And if they do, I will throw this book at them, literally. <laughs> um, so, you know, maybe we can um, start with... Let's start with our high points because we have just been sort of low-key trashing this. And, like, and I, I feel this way about The Secret, about almost all of these kind of garbage, like, self-help type things is I think there's good bits in it. I think you could certainly pull out some helpful advice. Um, so maybe let's just start and quickly try to say something that we liked about this. A, a favorite lie that she... Um, denied or or something um well I'll, i can say that i'm not a parent i don't i don't have kids um i have spent very recently like a minimal amount of time around um you know my, my best friend's kid uh i just got back from a trip down there this week to kind of hang out with them and i watched him while he was sick but that is basically the extent of my of my child care knowledge but her her kind of uh, mantra during the parenting section was that there are two things like not to ignore all of the all of the things you think you should be doing, all of the things that the books say that you're you should be doing. And that like at the end of the day, there are two things that you need to do successfully to be a successful mom. And that's keep the kid alive and keep yourself alive. And if you've done those two things, then you're a successful parent, which I, I do think is good advice you know seeing various friends of mine struggle with what they should be doing as parents um and what society thinks they should be doing and all of these pressures on them from society to parent in a particular way or else you know it's bad for the baby or you know they're gonna screw up their kids irrevocably to have it just boiled down to like no like ignore all that push it aside and just keep yourself alive and keep your child alive. And there you go. So that I was, I was pleasantly surprised by how direct that was. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I'm, I'm similarly not a parent to any human children, um, but I work in a sort of parent adjacent field. You know, I'm, I'm a teen librarian. So like parents will come and be like, can you help me find uh, the perfect like after school activity for my child so that they can get into college or like whatever. And so I interact with kind of the full range of parents or of children who are just sort of left to their own devices at the library for like 12 hours a day in the summer. I am in that whole kind of range. And, and I thought a lot of her parenting advice seemed pretty legit. Yeah. I felt a little bit 
like uncomfortably read by the section that was about um, basically like owning your ambitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called, I think the lie is like... Uh, you need to be small. Exactly. Um, and she talks about being at a conference with other women who are doing lifestyle blog work, like what she's doing, and who keep referring to it as like a hobby. Um, and it's like, ugh. <laughs> as somebody who does, you know, like I run a couple of small creative businesses that do not earn nearly enough money to sustain me. Um, but like our sites of serious, thoughtful ambition for me are like places where I do really, really hard and complicated work. And the discomfort of owning that you work really, really hard at something that is not necessarily considered by society to be serious and isn't successful enough in a capitalist system to be like your whole job is huge. And I think it probably is valuable to talk about that more and to be more honest about how hard a lot of this work is, like how hard it is to be podcasters, how hard it is to be freelance writers. Um, And like, you start doing it because it's fun and that is sincere. But, you know, once you're this deep into a project, it is incredibly hard work all of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, that's true even if you are not, you know, a-, a man who gets profiled in New York Magazine for having a podcast like Michael Barbaro of The Daily. By the way, she also has a podcast that I'd never heard of, Rachel Hollis, um, but it's much more successful than our podcast, but I just thought I should mention that, that I had not heard of it, but it exists as part of her media empire. Um, Also, I misremember, all of her lies are formatted in first person, so Margaret's, the lie that Margaret was talking about was, I need to make myself smaller, Um, Mm -hmm. just that way. Um, And yeah, I thought those... um, were some of the stronger parts. Um, I also, I have mixed feelings, but I, I think there was some good stuff in the lie, there's only one right to be. There's yep. also some bad stuff where she's like, literally, while well, my best friend is black, is a lie in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But... I, I don't think she just stops at black. I think she's like black and Mexican. And gay. Yeah, and gay. gay. <laughs> Which is interesting because this book is extremely heteronormative. So Super heteronormative. <laughs> but then in this last chapter, or it's the second to last chapter, and she's like, oh, uh, gay people exist also, right? <laughs> um, so it's, again, it's mixed, but I think there's some good advice, especially um, also each chapter, like it has its lie, it has her kind of going through it, and then it ends with like a bullet point list of things that helped me to deal with this. And so one of her pieces of advice to help overcome the idea that there's only one right to be is to, like, look around at your friend circle, and if everyone's like you, you need to do something about it. And, like, you know, um, and she talks about how she, and again, this is such, everything in this is, like, ups and downs and sort of contradicts itself, but she talks about going to a hip-hop dance class and being bad about, being bad at it, but she's proud of herself for, like, trying, and she's met people in her hip-hop dance class that she wouldn't otherwise have met, and, you know, good for her. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think I feel sort of the same way about the sex chapter. Yes. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't think the sex advice is particularly good. Uh, I think there's so much more that she needs to unpack before it's useful. But, like, 
I'm really glad that she put it in there. I think the pressures that she depicts to like not speak about those things at all are very real and were probably a significant thing to overcome. And that this might be some of the like realist talk about sex that a lot of um, women in evangelical circles could have easy and respectable access to. Exactly. Uh, And I think she knows that. And I think she takes that responsibility really seriously. And while I wish the advice were better, I'm just so glad it's there. (laughs) Exactly. And this is kind of what I meant earlier when I said, like, I know I'm not the target audience for this. But, you know, Rachel, she talks about, like, she was a virgin when she married her husband, who was eight years older than her. And they, the way that they met sounded sketchy as fuck but and she actually wasn't a virgin oh i thought she was a virgin when she she started dating him got it but she she lost her virginity while they were still in their like a very garbagey undefined state yes yes she Um, was in last ditch effort to keep him from dumping her yes yeah so just like exactly exactly the way like you most potently shouldn't lose your virginity is yeah. the way that she lost her virginity. Yeah. God, that chapter was so stressful. It was a, it was very a bad. And she wrote about it in this sort of like twist way where it seemed like oh, I had this shitty boyfriend and we broke up and now I have my husband who I love and he's like amazing. Twist, it's the same guy and I was like I it's hate the same you. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think again to her mild credit she like doesn't want you to take away the fairy tale like the toxic fairy tale Mm -hmm. from that of like oh if you're just tough with them one time they'll like immediately transform into your future husband but at the same time it's like if you're telling this story right like you've made a choice about how to tell this story and if you're just gonna skip over like he showed up at my doorstep and now we're married and you're not gonna talk about anything you and he did between those two points to make your relationship into a mutually respectful one where your needs were seen and valued um, and where your feelings weren't gaslit out of you. Like, you're not actually telling a useful story. Yeah. You, you, You want the glamour of the fairy tale while you're pretending to be incredibly real. And that is, again... Rachel Hollis in a nutshell. Yeah. She does like, she throws a little token to it where she says something like, I, I almost considered not writing about this because I don't want, you know, to help convince other women to stay in abusive relationships. And I want to make it clear that if you, you know, that this is an unusual story, but yeah, she doesn't dig too much into it. She just sort of is like, no, I know, but he's my husband and I love him. Well, everything in her life is an unusual story. And I think Mm. the portions of the book where she acknowledges and engages with that are by far and away the most interesting and valuable. And the book's biggest handicap is that she can't decide if she wants to stop being a figure of glamour or be a relatable figure. And she's definitely a figure of glamour. She needs to own that, mm-hmm. and she needs to stop acting like the women who follow her are her peers, because they aren't. Mm-hmm. They are not her sisters. They are not her girls. They are her fans. Mm-hmm. And that means her life is measurably and meaningfully different from theirs. And even if you can reassure people and be like, it's okay, because like sometimes I wet my pants jumping on the trampoline with my kids in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Like, it is helpful 
to sort of do a little bit to puncture the image of effortless perfection. But like what um, there's a Laura K.O. Turner review of this book that I'm sure we're going to end up referencing a lot that Mm -hmm. published in BuzzFeed. That was the first time I'd ever heard of Rachel Hollis. And in that she talks about curated perfection as being a big aesthetic on Instagram and being kind of the cornerstone of Rachel Hollis's whole identity. And it's just a very perfect and correct way of describing it. This whole book is like when an incredibly hot girl posts a picture of herself making like a goofy face on her Instagram. And it's like, we'll see, like, I don't care about what my looks are. It's like, bitch, you fucking do. Like, you know, you can only post this picture of you pulling a face because you're really hot to begin with. This this book is, like, this is an extremely niche statement. Brace yourselves. (laughs) This book is extremely, like, Jeremy Jordan's response to being told that he was too hot to play Seymour. (laughs) (laughs) Niche both in audience and in time of recording, but so apt. This is only tangential to what we were talking about, um, her story of how she met her husband and the kind of like myth of the fairy tale of like, oh, but like, it turns out that he was great eventually. So when I was reading this, there's a point where she talks about um, having written a novel and having pitched this novel. And and I'm sure we'll talk more about it. But um, and it was based on her time in LA and the character, there was no sex in the book, the character was a virgin and all of the major publishing houses that were interested, told her that they needed sex in it to sell it. So she decided to self-publish it instead. And when I got to that part, I Googled her to see if that book came up to see if she did self-publish it. And one of the first things that came up was a link to her husband's self-help book that is coming out this March. Wow. I'm so interested about that. I I need to know everything about that in a second. (laughs) The summary of it threw up so many more weird red flags for me about this man who is eight years older than her, who was in this terrible relationship with her and eventually married, married her. And by the way, I just want to interject that I don't necessarily just, uh, just to be clear, I don't think an eight year gap in a relationship between like two adults is necessarily a huge red flag. But when you met and one of you is 18 and the other one's eight years older than that, then that's yes. Yes. 100% agreement yes like when you're both adults it doesn't matter but when one of you is like literally just became an adult yeah and is an assistant at a company and someone else is the ex- uh, an executive <laughs> an assistant at a company now famous for its culture of sexual abuse and exploitation yeah yeah because she was an assistant at miramax folks during harvey weinstein's reign which is something we can also touch on at some point, because when I heard that, I was like, I need a thousand percent more information yeah, about what you've said about that whole situation. Which there's none in this book. Um, Margaret did some research and yeah, well, well let's dip back into we'll touch on it after seven derails. <laughs> but please, Kate, tell me about her husband's advice book. Dave Hollis used to think that personal growth was just for broken people. <sighs> then he woke up. 
When Dave Hollis's wife, Rachel, began writing her number one New York Times bestselling book, Girl, Wash Your Face, he bristled at her transparency and her willingness to talk about such intimate details of their life. But when a looming career funk, a growing drinking problem, and a challenging trek through therapy battered the Disney executive and father of four, Dave began to realize he was letting untruths about himself dictate his life. As he sank to the bottom of his valley, he had to make a choice. Would he push himself out of his comfort zone to become the best man he was capable of being? Or would he play it safe and settle for mediocrity? Okay. So one of the things that weighs on me really heavily while I'm reading this book is the dichotomy in how self-help and advice towards women is structured versus how self-help and advice towards men is structured. Mm. And this is just, you know, I'm not as qualified to speak to that as I'd like to be because I actually don't know. I I only know like two self-help books directed at men and they would probably be furious to be categorized that way. But it's like The Game by Neil Strauss Mm -hmm. and um, The 4-Hour Workweek and its accompanying series. Um, I think a lot of men are into um, the art of war as a self-help book, and that's that's not a joke. That is just based on how many men ask me for that that doesn't seem to be for a class. Right. No, I think that that's true, and like... Malcolm Gladwell has a whole career because Mm. he writes self-help books, but he pretends they're science books. Mm -hmm. And and that's why pop science is popular. P.S. Everyone listening at home, in case you didn't know that, pop science is just self-help, but um, dressed up because of misogyny. Mm, Uh, Because of the same things that Dave Hollis is saying is self-improvement is for pussies, basically. (laughs) So, but in those books, the framing is very much like, the game is rigged against you, but I'm going to show you how to stop being a mark and how to start being a player. Like, I figured this out and I'm going to show you how to figure it out so that you can, like, dominate everybody. Like, that's very much, it seems to me, the approach you take with men, right? Is you acknowledge very heavily that, like, things aren't fair and you've just got to be smart enough to figure out how to work the system. And with women, it's like, well, honey, like, your life is bad because you're garbage. Like, I don't know if you've realized, hey, girl, hey, you're hot trash. <laughs> and and you just break promises to yourself constantly, Pam. Weren't you on Atkins diet a week ago and you just gave it up? How do you expect anyone to respect you when you don't respect yourself? And, like, it's not untrue. People won't respect you if you don't respect yourself. And you do have a role to play in how these things happen in your life and the way that dynamics manifest. Like, you're the, you're the only thing you have control over. And I think there is value in focusing in on how much more power you have in that role than women are usually taught. But I, I hate the contempt that it's so frequently conveyed with you know Rachel talks about tough love it's not tough love like this is this is abusive mm-hmm. Rachel it's, the way you talk to the people who love you is abusive it's interesting so literally right before I started listening to this for the podcast my hold on the audiobook of stay sexy and don't get murdered the my favorite murder murder like dual memoir slash sort of advice book Mm-hmm. came in. So I listened to that literally, like, finished that, cued this up and started listening to it. 
And what is fascinating, I kept talking to people about like the dichotomy between these two books and how, you know, these two women who basically consider themselves fuck ups and kind of got to where they are and they're they're very blunt, just like this was luck. Like we did work hard, but lots of people work hard and this just happened to happen to us. Like Right. And also the other thing they talk about is how at the very beginning of the podcast while they would listen to, if you're unfamiliar with the format, they take turns telling each other about um, different true crime stories. And at the very beginning of it, they would throw out like what they thought were like tips to listeners and to themselves about like, oh, like, well, you know, keep aware of your surroundings and stuff like that. And listeners would write in and say like, that sounds like victim blaming, like what you're doing when you say like, you know, stay out of the forest and you should you should know better than to do this and never do this. Like, it sounds like you're blaming the victims. And they like, at first were angry that people were talking, like picking, picking on them essentially. But then they talked about it and they thought about it and they realized that like, yeah, like, there's a difference between, like, giving advice and picking at things that actually happen to actual people and and putting the, the onus shouldn't be on 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 the victims in this particular sense. But also, they applied that to the larger structure of the book that like, the onus shouldn't be on you to make everything in your life great. Like sometimes things just happen and you kind of have to roll with it. Yes. Genuinely, like all I wanted Rachel Hollis to acknowledge ever. Just so infuriating. So infuriating. Well, why don't we um, formally move into um, stating our least favorite. Actually, I have one other half point in favor of Rachel Hollis which I appreciated, which I don't think always comes up in these kinds of self-help books, which is she does talk omenly about having gone to therapy, about being very helped by therapy. Many times her advice is explicitly go to therapy. It's yeah. okay to go to therapy. And I really did like her acknowledging that. And I think, again, especially for the kind of audience that she has normally, I think that is very good advice for them to hear and maybe something that... Again, I wasn't raised Christian, so this is just sort of what I understand from, like, Twitter and talking to people, <laughs> that often in churches, maybe it's sort of a stigma against going to therapy because you should be able to go and just kind of get it from church or whatever, or, you know, talk right. to your Jesus pastor. Jesus should just heal you. Yeah, and so I did like that she did explicitly many times give shout-outs to therapy. Shout-out to therapy. 100%, me too. But that said, what didn't we like about this book? <laughs> God. Um, this is yeah. hard because it's everything. Well, let's just start with the fat phobia, which oh, I yes. think is one of the most unambiguously terrible problems with the book. I know. Like, it seems like there's nothing Rachel Hollis can imagine as a worse fate in life than being 50 pounds overweight. Yes. And, and we were joking about this before we started. Like, what what would be worse than being 50 pounds overweight? Being 100 pounds overweight? But I truly don't think she can imagine that. Like, several times she sort of offhandedly cites, or you'll be 50 pounds overweight. And I truly think that is the maximum that she can imagine a person being. 
<laughs> right. And it seems like it's because she has an incredibly disordered relationship with eating. Yes. Like, like hugely, hugely. Like, all we hear about her eating in terms of specifics are um, truly, like, intense binge eating yeah. when she is feeling miserable, like a whole package of Oreos. And not even, like, a whole package of Oreos absentmindedly consumed over the course of an evening as you watch Real Housewives on Bravo. Whomst among us hasn't? <laughs> but, like, but like a fight with her mean pastor father in the wake of her brother's suicide while her parents were going through a divorce and just like eating an entire pack of Oreos to hate feel eating sick. them. Hate crying eating them. as yes. she eats crying them. and hate eating well, them. Well, and when she talks about that, I, she sort of talks about like I did have an eating disorder and now I'm fine. And she doesn't seem like she's fine now. No, she doesn't seem like she's fine now at all. And I think it shows in that she can't imagine anyone being 50 pounds overweight without having a similarly disordered relationship with food. And it's like, no, sorry, Rachel. Like, some of us just have hormones that manifest differently on our bodies than you do. Yeah, Yeah. she seems to have this very cut and dry, like, you know... Fad diets don't work because there's just one very simple thing about eating, and it's if you eat fewer calories than you burn during the day, you lose weight. And that's science, and anyone who is fat is because they don't follow that science, and they're bad people, and, you know, they're undisciplined, and that's the end of it. And it's like, no, that's not that's not how that works. That's yeah. not I, remotely how that works. And I feel like, you know, um, shockingly, we're not scientists or nutritionists, and I don't want to necessarily devote a ton of time to, like, truly unpacking this, because it's not just her. This is a really pervasive um, idea, and I think if – and I think a lot of our listeners are probably – you know, like how Rachel Hollis's audience is like her. I think a lot of our audience is like us. And that means to me that probably you already are sort of aware of fat acceptance. Um, but if you are not, well, we'll talk about that a little bit in Reader's Advisory, I think. But, you know, if you look into like the health at every size um, movement, not I don't know. Yeah. If you like look into health at every size, if you look into fat acceptance, there's a lot going on, and um, Rachel Hollis doesn't know about it. Yeah. Yeah. And Rachel Hollis thinks it's bullshit. She mm-hmm. probably just thinks that it's somebody who's not brave enough to give you the tough love that you need to actually improve as a person. And it pops up in, like, the weirdest places. Like, when she's describing something ungainly, she's like, you know, it went over, like, an overweight cat falling off a sofa. And it's like, come even cats? You can't even think cats out of this, Rachel. Also, Sheesh. Yeah. By the way, uh, I got a. I've got a real skinny cat, and sometimes he too will fall off a couch. I will. I will admit to you guys. I do body shame cats. I think fat cats are very funny, which probably I shouldn't, but I do. I do body shame cats quite frequently. <laughs> I'm just really glad that you, in this season, took the time to lift that off your heart. <laughs> Thank you for unburdening yourself. Especially girl, when hey, they're girl, real hey. fat and it looks like they got like a little basketball hanging down when they walk and it just goes side to side. It's very cute. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I think I, I think if we could acknowledge that all bodies have humor, all bodies have attraction, all bodies can be embarrassing, you know, then we could get to a place where we could even look at fat humans and just be like, aren't they adorable? But like, 
while we're still in this place where um, to be fat is like Dickens or Roald Dahl, a, a mark that you are a bad person. You're bad. You're lazy. You're foolish. You're dumb. You've no self-discipline, et cetera. You've no work ethic, et cetera, et cetera. Like until we can get to a more value neutral understanding of fat with humans, that's probably not possible. But since we are a lot more value neutral, most of us with cats' bodies, <laughs> like this, this heavy weight that's been on your heart, Kate, I think, I think it's okay. You know, I can't ever acknowledge fat people as being attractive. That's wrong. <laughs> that's, that's impossible. Well, I'm just Which... worried about their health. <laughs> that's all. Which oh, I think God. then also touches upon sort of like the complication and even naming parts of this book that work, which is the parts that work are so immediately undermined by everything else that you can't even hold on to them. So like there's good stuff, for example, in the sex chapter about how Rachel's issues with her bodies, with her body got in the way of her enjoying sex and how a huge foundational part of enjoying sex is just coming to accept your body. Right. And, um, like, be present in it as a thing that feels and experiences things rather than constantly imagining it as an object, as all women are trained to do all of the time. Um, like, that's great advice. But, like, Rachel, how is a woman who is a size 14, size 16, the average size of most women in America, like, how is she supposed to get to that place when every other page in your book is displaying so much contempt? for her figure and doing nothing to unpack the unique privilege you have as a very wealthy woman in Los Angeles, California, right? Like it is not easy. Like having a great body is a full-time job. Yes. And most people already have full-time jobs on top of the full-time job they have being parents. And so for there to just be so much again, contempt for people who are struggling with this. It's like, how how are they supposed to take away anything sincere from your encouragement that they love your their body? Also, in with the theme of her being all over the place and back and forth and everything, she also multiple times has... You know, the, the idea of, like, oh, I, like, I'm a skinny person, so it's cute if I joke about, like, eating a whole burger. Except for her, it's cheese. She is... <laughs> obsessed with cheese and will make all these offhand jokes about like and then I ate like a whole thing of cheese um l luckily I'm not fat like <laughs> um throughout and she talks about like oh I'm not good at anything except for uh baking cheese based casseroles um just constantly making these jokes about eating a bunch of cheese um which you know what cheese is great um unless you're lactose intolerant sorry Kate but um <sighs> do you know like She's all over the place with everything. Like, she also has internalized that, like, oh, it's it's cute when skinny people do this. Like, right. And, and I also, I feel irritated a lot of this book, angry a lot of this book, but also bad for Rachel because, like, like the ultimate villain of this book is the patriarchy. And, like, 100%. she's, she's yes. trying yes. to make sense of all these, you know, 
Rachel Hollis didn't start the fire. Like, no. <laughs> she is trying to make sense of all these conflicting messages that she has received from our society. And she sort of has overcome some of them or is working on it. But others, they're still there. And, like, it sucks that she is regurgitating this and putting this out for, like, other women to read. But also, like, it clearly has taken a big toll on her, too. Yeah. And it's also clearly... I- seems like it is sincerely helpful for a lot of women, which I think just speaks to the level of artifice most of them are accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Like, to have something like this that is just so transparently hypocritical in terms of what it's saying about how real she's being and what a beautiful end image she's actually leaving everyone with... Like, for that to seem to people like real talk and like true honesty and true uh, intimacy is so discouraging. Yeah. By the way, it's... Rachel Hollis uh, is on, did appear on Oprah's 2020 Vision Tour. Just want to put that out there. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 also interesting because like obviously I'm not anywhere near as famous as Rachel Hollis, but you know I have plenty of people who consume me the way they would consume an influencer, right? Um, Marvin, and... Yeah, you you're an influencer. <laughs> you're like, an influencer in our particular circles. It, it's a very very small thing, but I feel like. I understand some of the dynamics that Rachel is talking about here, and I just have so little respect for her lack of insight about them, Mm. right? Like, I love what you were saying that Karen Kilgariff says about how much of it is just down to luck. Like, so much of it is just down to luck. So much of it is just down to timing. And, like, if you look at having succeeded in this field where so many people are trying to get a toehold, right, and your takeaway is God has perfect timing, Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. go fuck yourself. There is a right. huge overlap between Rachel Hollis's underlying philosophy and The Secret, which we have, of course, talked about at length. And, you know, Rachel Hollis straight up has vision boards, but a lot of her, um, and she also talks about having, like, mantras and manifesting and just keeping her eyes on her goal in this way that is identical to The Secret. Um, and, and I think this, I've said about The Secret, I think... If you are willing to take that with a grain of salt and then, and not commit to it a hundred percent, I think, yeah, of course, like if you're able to have a positive attitude, if you're able to like identify your goals, um, I think that can be helpful. But then when you take it all the way and you're like, this is the only thing. And if you aren't meeting your goals, it's because you're not believing hard enough, at least also... I guess the thing about the secret too is that like also you don't have to work. You really just have to like believe in it. <laughs> and she also is saying like you have to do the work and I work so hard. But there is also still this like self-congratulatory like well it worked for me so if it's not working for you it's because you're not doing it right. Yes. And just like there's a point I think it might be in the introduction that I am going to paraphrase where you know she's talking about how all these people message her and they're like your life is so glamorous you're so cool and she's like what I think they're really responding to is that I'm just happy and it's like no, <laughs> no you not. asshole they are responding to the fact that you are extremely rich 
you're very good looking in a way that is really, really luckily appropriate for the field you've put yourself in. And like you happened to come to these platforms at a time when they weren't as completely developed. And so you got to be there and be a master of it, like right when people were starting to understand this was a space they could tune into. Like, like they're not just responding to the fact that you're happy. And it's like, I certainly am someone who gets attracts that kind of attention sometimes. Where it's just like, you know, if you only see my life online, it looks pretty great. And big parts of that are totally honest. Like, I, I am really lucky. I have an incredibly big network of friends who are, I think, better than most people's friends. I'm just going to go ahead, put that out there and say it. My friends are better than most people's friends because they're perfect. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but, but I'm more right than most people who are biased about how their <laughs> friends are the best. Right. And I live in this cool city and I have the income to do all this cool stuff. And I'm lucky to have sort of like symmetrical features and look appealing, but not like a girl who'd steal your boyfriend. And I happen to gravitate towards fields where the skills that I have and the personality that I have are just really, really well suited to what I want to do. You know, and she's like, oh, I just happen to be a lifestyle blogger because, like, I really want to research the, the best way to unload and, like, reload a dishwasher. But I would be working just this hard and just this happy, like, if I were really into macrame or photography. And it's like, no, you wouldn't because there isn't an industry where you could make money as a passionate macrame crafter yeah i think it's very telling that throughout despite like being like here's the secrets to my success she never actually tells the story of how she got to where she is right. <laughs> she never talks about what her work actually entails and what work she's actually done. Like the vague sketch that I gave at the very beginning of like what her career trajectory was, was gleaned from clues dropped in the book and things from other sources. Like she can't come out and say like, here's the exact hard work I did to get where I am. Because while I'm not saying she didn't work hard, it it's not... I don't think it's as pull yourself up by your bootstraps as she wants people to think it was. Correct. And it's also not replicable is the other thing. Yes. Mm. Right. That's the thing that she is not owning is this is not success that everyone can access. And it's not success that you know, even if there was another beautiful, pathologically hardworking, rich wife who like has just the right balance of uh, sass and cultural appropriation to like really take off uh, as a white person using uh, African American vernacular English <sighs> mm -hmm. all the time. Oh my god! Speaking right, even of, if she came way, along you... right now, she couldn't be Rachel Hollis because Rachel Hollis already exists, and that field is maxed out. Mm -hmm. Right? It would have to be somebody who iterates on this model. It, it, it just would be so interesting to hear how she actually built her business. And she's not following the advice that she gives in, like, I don't have to make myself small. It's like you're making yourself small in this book all of the time. And you're doing it so you can bully other women without acknowledging that there's a power differential in the relationship that you're navigating right now. 
Right. You're doing it so that you can pretend your readers are your peers so that you can be nasty to them. And that is just garbage. Yeah. By the way, I also would like to talk about um, there's nothing in this book about washing your face. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's a small quote. I thought it would be along the lines of like there was a a Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye. Um, I don't think it was on Queer Eye. I think it was some other interview, but it went sort of briefly, briefly viral in my spheres how it was like hey i know um self-care is hard and like you don't have to have a whole skincare routine like at the end of the day like you just need to brush your teeth and wash your face and that's like the most important things and if you you know if you don't have the energy to take a shower like just do that and if you can't you know put on a new outfit you know at least this will kind of keep your body going and so i thought maybe it would be something along those lines of like before i read it you know like and I sort of knew basically what this was about, and I thought it would maybe be something along those lines. Like, oh, you're you're a busy mom. You don't have time to do this. But, like, make time to wash your face and take care of yourself. There's truly, not until the very, like, last sentence of the book is, like, and wash your face. Like, I, th- <laughs> I thought it would be a bigger part of it, and it's truly not. And that's all. Yeah, I had actually never heard of it until Renata um, pulled it, I think, from our suggestion forms or somewhere and said, like, oh, we should put this on our long list. And sort of implied through her understanding, as she just said, that that's what it was, that it was kind of a a, a skincare adjacent sort of thing. <laughs> so I, I truly, yeah. 100% also thought that's what it was until I went to take the audiobook out and read the summary. And I was like, oh, I think this is different than what we thought it was. <laughs> but also... Can we take a moment to talk about her use of African-American vernacular English and also the word tribe? Also the word tribe. Yep. Oh, that's in my constantly notes for sure, tribe. And oh. I'll, I'll just mention also, because, again, this is not only Rachel Hollis. A lot of white people casually use the word tribe and don't think of it as being problematic. I mean, it, it really wasn't until a few years ago that I, you know, read an article or followed someone on Twitter who was like, hey, this is problem like and if you think about it for two seconds you're like oh fucking duh like yeah that has a specific meaning in specific cultures and like it doesn't just mean your group of friends or like people who are like you and Um, like you know it doesn't mean just your group of friends rachel hollis because if it just meant your group of friends you would just be like my group of friends Mm -hmm. right like you are trying to communicate something bigger when you say tribe particularly in the way that she does and really grates my cheese i don't know i don't care for it yeah it's not cool but kate you introduced this and might have more you wanted to say about the subject most mostly just that it's bad that Mm -hmm. it's just constant and bad and it in addition to it just being like hey like i'm like a rich white christian woman and this is how i'm talking to seem cool and down to earth like it it also just adds this level of like fake and I'm I am frequently a fan of people writing books in conversational styles um especially when they then read the audiobook and it's like oh like I'm having a conversation with this person probably because I listen to so many podcasts sure same but it just like kind of reeks of this like false friendly yeah awkward 
conversational-esque attitude that she wants the book to take. And perhaps because I'm bristling so much at her concept and at her, the way that she is presenting this information and the things that she wants me to take home, like, it doesn't sit right with me, but also it, it just feels... It doesn't feel authentic, which is ironic yeah. because her whole thing is about being authentic. Yeah, it feels, uh, one, appropriative. It sounds dumb. Um, and two, like, it's just the whole tone of the book is so condescending. And it's really, really put me off. And there's some very like, sincere stuff in the latter half of the book about dealing with the trauma of, you know, discovering her brother's body after he died by suicide. Um, There's very real stuff in here about her experiences trying to be a foster parent. But even in those things, there's just this total unwillingness to... um, to look into whether her, her life has been special and sort of easier in some ways than other people's. She she has a point where she gets uh, facial paralysis issues because Yeah, she has of, um, Bell's palsy, which I have other friends who have developed this from stress. And, like, right. for real, take care of yourself, guys. It's bad. Right. Don't get it. And, and, like, it sounds bad. It sounds stressful. And there's a point where she talks about, uh, like, not realizing until she experienced it how much vanity she had Mm -hmm. um and like i don't have bell's palsy but i had a sort of similar thing happen where i have this uh condition where like my eyelids swell and so like i had like a like a puffed eye for like a fucking month in 2017 and i really didn't think how i didn't think i valued my physical appearance until it wasn't good Mm -hmm. right until it wasn't what i wanted to be and then i was like oh fuck like I don't I wish it didn't matter this much in the world and to me but like being even this iota of alienated from the privilege of just being like functionally fine looking like fine to good looking without really putting much effort into it it made me realize just like like again it made me realize how privileged I am it made me realize how lucky I am to have a face that functions in the world the way that mine does like people are really inclined to be nice to me if i like i'm a big um drive-by complimenter i go up to a lot of strangers and i compliment their clothing constantly and on one hand that's like an ethic thing for me but on the other like i can do that because i'm confident they're gonna look at me and be like oh it was great to be complimented by this person Mm -hmm. right like if i wasn't like a moderately conventionally attractive femme presenting woman, you know, I I, I don't know that I would have that confidence, right? Yeah. (laughs) I think there's some like very um, interesting and relatable kernels in here where I think who who among us has not felt like on one hand you want to be like, yes, everyone is beautiful and everybody is beautiful and whatever. But then when I put on this outfit and I look at myself and I don't like it, even though, like, I wouldn't, you know, I would tell my friend, no, you look great. But when it's me, um, maybe not. Like, maybe we all we all have this, basically. And there's not, right. I don't think, an easy way. To, and maybe that's why she doesn't get into it, because it's really hard to solve, because it's such a big societal issue. It's so many messages that we're all receiving. And 
even if you are, um, you know, doing fat acceptance or like disability acceptance, like maybe you still, it, when it's you, like it's a whole different thing. And, right. and I don't have anything um, insightful to say about it. Just that like, yes, there's a little bit in here where she can't really engage with that because it's too much. And that's kind of how I feel too, is it's like too much. But well, when you, we? oh, oh yeah, I was going to say, when you incorporate that much nuance into advice, you dampen some of the impact, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It's yeah. it's less rhetorically effective, but it's so much more honest. And she's just constantly choosing rhetorical and superficial efficacy over valuable insight. And it's really frustrating. And I'm very sad that the state of the world is such that this is something that speaks to so many people. And, and I'm sad that she's frozen in this place when it seems like she does have the curiosity and insight to do better. On that note, should we perhaps move on to dramatic readings to yes. perhaps expose some other folks to what we're talking about? Yeah, let's just sure. give you a full undiluted dose of Rachel Hollis in the face. Yeah, should I go first because mine is the intro? Absolutely. Yes. All right. Strap in, guys. Uh, because this is going to be fun. This is um Rachel talking about what she wishes she could say to the women who show up in her Instagram DMs being like, "How, you know, how can I survive and thrive when I'm dealing with all of this stuff?" And she says, you know, like, you're so great. Like, you're, you're going to do it. And then she says, this is what she wishes she could say. The truth is that you are strong and courageous and a fighter. But if I'm telling you that, it's because I want you to see those characteristics in yourself. I want to grab you by the shoulders and shake you until your teeth rattle. I want to get in your face until you have the courage to look me in the eyes and see the answer for yourself. I want to shout at the top of my lungs uh, until you know this one great truth. You are in control of your own life. You only get one chance to live and life is passing you by. Stop beating yourself up and dang it. Stop letting others do it too. Stop accepting less than you deserve. Stop buying things you can't afford to impress people you don't even really like. Stop eating your feelings instead of working through them. Stop buying your kids love with food or toys or friendship because it's easier than parenting. Stop abusing your body and your mind. Stop. Just get off the never-ending track. Your life is supposed to be a journey from one unique place to another. It's not supposed to be a merry-go-round that brings you back to the same spot over and over again. Your life doesn't have to look like mine. Heck, your life doesn't have to look like anyone else's at all. But it should at least be a creation of your own making. Is it going to be hard? Absolutely. But taking the easy way out is how you end up on the sofa, 50 pounds overweight, while life passes you by. So, that's Could there be a Rachel. worse fate? <laughs> Truly, I can't possibly imagine it. Um, By the way, I, just because this is an audio medium, and maybe you don't know what I look like, um, I haven't weighed myself in a while. I'm probably 50 pounds overweight, depending on whatever guideline you're going by. And uh, Same. Doing great, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so now I'm going to... 
dip into the sex advice chapter, which mm-hmm. I think we've all said we thought was okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> again, again, for the audience she's going for versus our audience, we know it's different. But um, so the the way this is formatted, Margaret wrote from the introduction, and then each chapter is a lie and then kind of a few pages of narrative and then a bullet point list at the end. And so I'm going to read you some of the bullet point lists at the end of things that helped me overcome the lie that I'm bad at sex. Number one, I redefined sex in my own mind. For the longest time, sex symbolized a lot of things and not all of them were positive. I decided to change what I thought sex was. This might not be what sex is for you, your friends, or the Holy Ghost and all the saints, but going forward, I decided that sex was supposed to be a fun experience that would always be more compelling than whatever else I could be doing. Up until that point, I was continuously weighing sex against other things, reading a book, watching TV, etc., and it was playing second fiddle. But if I reminded myself that sex was always an awesome opportunity, then I would presumably want to choose it. Number two, I figured out how sex could be an earth-shattering experience. When you're uncomfortable or don't feel sexy or nervous or shy or whatever, you're not going to enjoy yourself. If you're not enjoying yourself, you're not having good sex. So I asked myself, how can I enjoy this more? What's holding me back? The answer? Me. I spoke with Dave about all the things I was thinking and feeling. It shocked me that after all our years together, I could still be so embarrassed, but I pushed through it. We needed to be on the same page, and the only way to get there was by opening up the book and talking to him about it. Number three, I read Hebrews 13.4. Part of my hangups were related to my being a good Christian girl who couldn't reconcile becoming a freak in the sheets. And then I read Hebrews 13.4. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the bed be undefiled. Now, straight up, I'm sure I'm not reading this right. I'm sure someone who studied theology will tell me that this actually means something different. Side note for me, I read some reviews, and some people are mad about this because this is not at all what it means. Um, (laughs) Personally, unoffended. Um, But what I read, back to Rachel, but what I read, or what I take away when I read that line, is that the things that happen in my bed with my husband cannot be weird or bad or wrong. Let me back up and say that there definitely can be things that a committed monogamous couple can do sexually that can be incredibly hurtful to them both. Pornography, for example, is extremely damaging to both the consumer and the people being used as objects for your lust. But the other stuff? Lingerie, leather, toys, role play, trying every position possible, going at it on the kitchen table, dirty talk, whatever. If it turns you on and doesn't hurt you, I say go for it. Number four, I embrace my body. Having a low opinion of your body is so damaging of your ability to enjoy sex. I used to worry about whether or not my tummy was tight or if my butt looked okay in those panties. You know what Dave was thinking when I took off my clothes? Boobies. Your partner is just thrilled you showed up and all those things you're questioning aren't helping anyone. I practice positive self-talk. Side note, did you? About how great my butt looked or how sexy I was. I did it so much that at some point I started to believe it. Number five, I committed to my orgasm. Okay, just writing that line makes me blush. I'm imagining some future book signing where a reader comes up to my table and says, So, you committed to your orgasm. Side note, Rachel Hall's challenge, if you go to her book signing, please do that. Report back to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> but this is important, and even if it embarrasses me, I want you to know it. Back in the day when we first started having sex, an orgasm for me was like icing on the cake. But here's the thing, ladies. Orgasms are not icing on the cake. Orgasms are the cake. A second orgasm is icing on the cake. Remember how I said that I had to figure out how to make sex the greatest thing ever? Remember how I told you that I wanted to desire it over anything else in my life? You know how you do that? With orgasms. I decided years ago that I would never, and I mean never again, have sex that didn't include an orgasm for me. When I told Dave this plan, he agreed it was the greatest idea I'd ever come up with. Because the, here's the thing. For most of us, our partners are thrilled to give us pleasure, and if we're both committed to my orgasm at the outset, it will happen. So, you know. Just such a mix of mix helpful and bad. And, yeah, and, and shockingly, uh, I don't even know. Just, Kate, you read your thing. I can't process this right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so this is from chapter 17, The Lie, I Am Defined by My Weight. Strap yourselves in, guys. I think this is the part in the typical inspirational and motivational book where the author would tell you that a journey of self-discovery and a lot of therapy helped her learn that weight did not define her. This is where I should tell you that I am worthy and loved as I am. This is absolutely true, but that's not where I'm headed with this chapter. That isn't the kind of book I want to write. Here's what I can tell you truthfully about diet and exercise and weight and what it means in my life. Who you are today is incredible. You have so many wonderful qualities to offer the world, and they are uniquely yours. I believe your creator delights in the intricacies of you, and he is filled with joy when you live out your potential. I also believe that humans were not made to be out of shape and severely overweight. I think we function better mentally, emotionally, and physically when we take care of our bodies with nourishment, water, and exercise. The lie I used to believe was that my weight would define me, that it would speak volumes about who I was as a person. Today I believe it's not your weight that defines you, but the care and consideration you put into your body absolutely does. Because I work in media, and because I've had years of accidentally upsetting people online without ever meaning to do so, I already know that my saying this will annoy some people. I can imagine the emails I'll get, the lists of reasons why you or someone you know is justifiably obese, the trauma you've lived through. In some cases, food is your coping mechanism. Or maybe I'll hear the opposite. Maybe you have an eating disorder like anorexia. You're thin but totally unhealthy because your body doesn't get the nutrients it needs. Or maybe you drink every single day because you're a single parent or you're walking through a hard season. All of these are justifiable. All of these are valid reasons to negate caring for yourself. For a time. Childhood trauma is not a life sentence. Emotional pain, extreme emotional pain, does not guarantee emotional pain for the rest of your life. I know this is true because I am a living, breathing, flourishing example of someone who chooses to rise above the trauma of her past. The reason I know this is true is because the world is filled with people who have had it so much harder than me and so much harder than you, and yet they show up for their lives every single day. You can choose whether or not to stay there. You can choose to continue to abuse your body because it's all you know. You can choose to live in the place because live in that place because it is the path of least resistance. You can choose to settle for a half-lived life because you don't even know there's another way. Perhaps you have no idea how to pull yourself out of it. But please, please stop making excuses for the wise. 
Please stop telling yourself you deserve this life. Stop justifying a continued crappy existence simply because that's the way it's always been. Just as you've chosen to stay in this place for so long, you can choose to get yourself out of it. You need to be healthy. You don't need to be thin. You don't need to be a certain size or shape or look good in a bikini. You need to be able to run without feeling like you're going to puke. You need to be able to walk up a flight of stairs without getting winded. You need to drink half your body weight in ounces of water every day. You need to stretch and get good sleep and stop medicating every ache and pain. You need to stop filling your body with garbage like Diet Coke and fast food and lattes that are a million and a half calories. You need to take in fuel for your body that hasn't been processed and fuel for your mind that is positive and encouraging. You need to get up off the sofa or out of bed and move around. Get out of this fog that you've been living in and see your life for what it is. I really do want to know the science on drinking half your body weight in ounces of water every day. Yeah, because she mentions that So many times. It comes up like five times in the book. And it, I've never heard anything as wild in my life. That would be so much water every day. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I don't, don't understand <laughs> it. If you, if you're listening to this and you have any insight into that metric for hydration, please at me. Yeah, and, and, I, and I have such also such whiplash from reading like the sex advice part to that, where it's like, oh, like love your body, your partner's just happy no matter what you look like, <laughs> unless you're fat though. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and even, like, the part in there, there's not a particular size or shape you need to be. Unless your shape or size is fat, then you shouldn't right. be that. Girl. Oh, boy. All right, let's keep moving along, although I would love to scream about this for hours. Um, <clears throat> anyway, would you rather marry the emotionally abusive Disney executive who took your virginity at age 20, or never have enough capital to start your own event planning business? I mean, I think I'm living the never have enough capital to start your event planning business right, life I'm already every day. Here. Yeah. I'm here. I've already chosen it. Uh, granted, I, I haven't had a Disney executive emotionally abuse me and then offer to give me the seed money to start my imaginary social media consulting firm. Don't tweet that. Just text me. <laughs> <laughs> However, um, I, I think I do know that I would choose to continue struggling in this nine to five life mm -hmm. uh, over being married to Dave Hollis, who sounds like garbage. Sounds like garbage. Yeah. Same. Mm -hmm. I guess we just don't have enough hustle. Yeah. Mm. I guess not. We just aren't committed enough to wanting to change our lives. All right. Well, um, while we're feeling emotional, uh, would you rather... <laughs> Eat one of Rachel Hollis's cheese-based casseroles or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle the movie that only serves steaks and cakes. Uh, well, as a person who is tragically lactose intolerant, <laughs> uh, I would not be able to successfully eat one of Rachel Hollis's or not be able to feel good after eating one of Rachel Hollis's cheese-based casseroles, even though I generally am in favor of cheese for other people. So I will stick with our beloved sponsor, Steaks and Cakes. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm too fat to, like, whimsically joke about eating cheese. <laughs> um, so instead, I'll whimsically joke about eating an entire cake, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm on my period right now, so 
like steaks and cakes is literally just like my whole diet. Like that's a dream diet. Mm-hmm. So steaks and cakes sounds incredible right now. <laughs> yeah, get that iron, get that sugar. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's perfect. All right. What are we doing after this recording? We should go ahead and get some steaks and cakes. <laughs> I'll, I'll meet you there. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, let's move on to Reader's Advisory, which we've sort of liberally sprinkled throughout but um Mm -hmm. what are some other books or podcasts or whatever that we might recommend instead of or in addition to girl wash your face um i'll start and say um another book podcast by the book um has done an episode on girl wash your face i haven't listened to it i found it when i was looking into this and then i didn't want to listen to it first lest it um alter what i might say um but in general i do like by the book and so i'll probably check that out it's probably good um, also, the ladies of Buy the Book, Jolenta Greenberg and Kristen Meinzer, have written a book called How to Be Fine, which is sort of a distillation of all the many self-help books they've read for their podcast. Um, so that seems helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I already mentioned that I just finished uh, Stay Sexy and Don't Get Murdered by Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark. Uh, I do recommend that as an antidote for this. Um just another note is that they both talk extensively about uh, their eating disorders and how they have dealt with them over their lives and how they have managed to get into recovery from them. And uh, I don't think it was through listening to advice similar to Rachel Hollis's. Mm -hmm. My recommendation is an episode of the podcast Bullseye, where Jesse Thorne interviews Rosie Perez. Kind of a slant recommendation here, a little bit out of left field. But what I would say about this is that I think Rosie Perez actually displays the sort of, like, grit, self-insight, and uh, integrity that Rachel Hollis likes to imagine that she has, and that it was just an incredibly fun thing to listen to. I didn't know that much about her life, and it's super, super interesting. And I have thought about it often in the last two months since I listened to it. I, I remember seeing that going around when it first came up, and um, I haven't listened to it yet, but it does sound good. It's great. Um, one other one I want to toss out is um, is a problematic fave of mine, who is RuPaul, um, who also has a s- sort of self-help book called Guru. Mm-hmm. And I think RuPaul also has, honestly, some of the same issues that Rachel Hollis has, where RuPaul has internalized a lot of, like, fat negative and, like, body shaming um, things took RuPaul a long time to understand, like, trans rights, and I think probably still some progress we made there. But nevertheless, I I think... I think some of the things RuPaul says are very helpful. And RuPaul also is very into, like, I pulled myself up from my bootstraps, and, like, why can't you? And again, RuPaul, I think, legitimately did do that uh, mm. to a greater extent than Rachel Hollis did, if, if we're gonna, like, you know, measure yeah. such things. Um... But all the same, I think a lot of the kind of, like, catchy, like, mantras that RuPaul tosses out there, like, and honestly, one of them, Rachel Hollis almost quotes, were, um, what other people think of me is none of my business. Um, I find that really helpful. I find a lot of the shit RuPaul says really helpful. Yeah. And funny. Um, and so with that caveat, you know, if you're looking for someone to say, like, pithy self-help things at you, I don't know, maybe RuPaul. Um, all right, so we'll have all of that and some other stuff up on our website, which is worstbestsellers.com. Um, now, since we are emotionally eating ladies, what are our candy pairings for this book? 
Um, my candy pairing is an Oreo, but you have to cry while you're eating it. Mm-hmm. Um, my candy pairing is the uh, Christmas candy presently by my laptop because God has perfect timing and he must have <laughs> left it there for me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Uh, mine is a cheese plate (laughs) just kidding Uh, imagine being fat (laughs) (laughs) okay how about uh, the rock paper snicked the game where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book and Margaret can choose which most enhances this book or she can choose paper which is to leave it as is Mm mm-hmm all right, let's be honest. It's surprising that The Rock isn't in this book in some sort of, like, charming tangential anecdote. But if the worst bestsellers version of Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book, he would throw the book in the garbage and give you a hug and tell you that you are actually, yes, okay as a person the way that you are and that any personal growth should be driven by what you want out of yourself and not what society wants out of you. Um. Wolverine would rip several pages from this book to use as a napkin while he was eating barbecue ribs and drinking several beers. <laughs> so this is tough um, because I love the contempt that Wolverine is showing for the book. I just think that that's about the level of attention that it deserves. Mm-hmm. But I really am just like hurting for women who came to this book looking for uh, support and advice and were instead bullied and um, treated with contempt for hundreds and hundreds of pages. And it's very nice to imagine the worst bestsellers version of The Rock just giving him a big hug mm-hmm. and providing some of that love and support and validation in, in, in sincere communion. So um, in this season, <laughs> it's on my heart to, um, to go with Rock. Over paper and snicked. Yeah, you know what? Hugs from the rock for all. Yes. Truly. Um, I mean, that would be a pretty good moral of the story, but what else do we think the moral of this book is? Uh, I would say the moral of the story is that you can build an entire business around talking about how hard it was to build your business, I guess. My method is uh, everything about your life is completely in your power except for the parts decided by God, who has perfect timing. (laughs) (laughs) My moral of the story is just cherry pick whatever advice seems helpful to you personally and throw the rest out with the bathwater after you wash your face. (laughs) Girl. (laughs) Um, Now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will share his opinions about the book. You know, Dorday, I think you're right, and um, she really doesn't mention having pets, and I think that could be really strong for her brand, Um, especially, we all know cats are beautiful photogenic creatures at any size, and I think just if she had one to to put on her Instagram, I bet it would help. Yeah, but I I think that, honestly, Duarte, you should take that hole in the market and get yourself uh, on Instagram and become an influencer even bigger than Rachel Hollis. I think you have it within you. Mm. We we have have faith in you, Duarte. (laughs) All right. Well, Duarte, thank you for joining us. Uh, Do any humans have any closing thoughts? (sighs) This was bad. 
This was bad, though. Yeah, this was bad and discouraging. It was really good talking about it with you guys, though, and I, I hope that the people listening at home... I just got dragged on my podcast for constantly saying listening at home when, like, podcast listeners could be anywhere. They may not be at home. So... Tell I the listeners dragged, on their commutes. <laughs> I wasn't dragged badly enough to stop saying listeners in their homes, but now I have to qualify it immediately afterwards. So, <laughs> listeners, wherever you may be, I, I hope I hope that you got something out of the uh, deep well of exasperation mm-hmm. uh, I we tapped into in me mm-hmm. while recording this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess also I'll say I meant to say at the top and then forgot because I was so filled with anger at this book. Uh, I very clearly have a cold and sorry for sounding like I have a cold the entire time. (laughs) I tried to mute my coughing as much as possible. You did great. You know what? Maybe if you took better care of yourself and drank half your body weight in water. (laughs) Every day. (laughs) Um, Um, Oh, and I do want to say I hope that you guys can put in the show notes the podcast interview yes. that Rachel Hollis did uh, where she was asked real softball questions about the whole Weinstein situation um, and talked about experience of workplace sexual harassment that she had. And it's just like 1,000 times more interesting and more important than anything she actively chose to include in her book. Oh, Correct. seriously. Correct. Rachel Hollis, if you ever write an an honest and uh, demonstrating sincere self-insight memoir about how you built your lifestyle brand, I would probably be sincerely interested in reading it at this point because of Stockholm Syndrome. (laughs) Girl, I've checked my privilege. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, if you would like to talk to us about Rachel Hollis or um, any kind of lifestyle advice, you can... Um, like us on Facebook or facebook.com slash worst bestsellers. We're on Twitter, twitter.com slash worst bestseller with no S because, um, you know, the S just wasn't really fitting in with our brand. Um, so we had to get rid of it. And um, we have a Goodreads group that is most easily accessible by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the Goodreads link. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all the regular podcast places where you find podcasts. Yeah, wherever in your home you're listening to your podcast. (laughs) If you you do subscribe, please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it moves us up a bit on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. If you don't rate and review, we'll have to send like belligerent berating advice to you until you change your life to include rating and reviewing podcasts as part of your routine. You can also subscribe to us on Patreon or pledge to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers. Patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation. It goes to us to do things like uh, keep our website functioning, pay our editor, uh, pay for new equipment. And uh, in return, you get some perks like postcards and newsletters and uh, the occasional bonus episode before they hit the regular feeds. So you should check that out. Uh, it's pretty you, dope. You can also check out our website at worstbestsellers.com and click on merch where you can find a store where you can purchase things from our podcast to wear on your body, whatever size it may be. <laughs> um, and finally, if you just want to come talk to me personally or look at photos of Dorote, who is very important to my personal brand, um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Renata Snacks. 
And I am on all the social medias at 14 across. And Margaret, where can we find you? If you would like my personal brand, you can find me at Mrs. Friday Next on most social media platforms, but most markedly Twitter. Uh, If you want to listen to me be exasperated about things at length, um, my podcast appointment television did a uh, TV book club where we watched the entire first season of The Newsroom. And wow, did that bring out my ranting side. (laughs) And if you would like advice that is uh, not laced with hideous, unacknowledged toxicity, sometimes my newsletter, Two Bossy Dames, uh, gives advice. And we really do our level best to leave the toxicity at the door. Not going to say that we succeed all of the time. We're all works in progress. But we definitely do a lot better than Rachel Hollis. One thousand percent. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me and making me read this horrible book. But I feel really much more informed about the world. That and you know what, and that's what we aim for first and foremost. <laughs> uh, we'll be back uh, with this podcast uh, talking about machines like us by Ian Ian McEwen. I've never realized how hard his name is to say. <laughs> Ian McEwen, you know that guy. Um, (laughs) Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.